0: This is the Intego Mac Podcast. The voice of Mac security. For Thursday, November 30th, 2023. This week's Intego Mac Podcast security headlines include the Chrome browser just got another update with security patches for serious vulnerabilities. The number of updates it's received already this year may surprise you. A new Bluetooth vulnerability has been discovered that could allow hackers to listen in on your personal audio. And how much personal information are you actually transmitting when you share your contact info using Apple's name drop feature? Now, here are the hosts of the Intego Mac podcast veteran Mac journalist Kirk McElhern and Indigo's chief security analyst Josh Long.
1: Good morning, Josh. How are you today? I'm doing well. How are you, Kirk? I'm okay. Hey, listen, I made a Cyber Monday purchase. Oh, what'd you get? A pair of Apple's new AirPods Pro. Ooh, that's pretty cool. I had been thinking about this, and I've never been entirely a fan of in-canal
2: earbuds, but these are actually quite comfortable, and they sound okay. We'll have to talk about a vulnerability that might impact your AirPods Pro in a little bit.
1: Oh, no, already. (laughs) All right, well, let's start with Google Chrome. They have fixed their sixth zero-day exploit for the year six zero day exploits in 2023 and when you mentioned this to me I said well how many have they had in previous years and in 2022 they had nine and in 2021 they had 15 so they're doing better six might sound like a lot but they're doing better
2: yeah and and so when we talk about zero day exploits in this context we're talking about these are in the wild vulnerabilities that some threat actor is using against people who are using Google Chrome, or it could also be Chromium based browsers or other software that uses the Google Chromium code base. The Google Chrome browser is probably the most common of those things. You know, it's by far the most commonly used browser worldwide. And so anytime that there's a, an in the wild exploit for Google Chrome, it's a good reminder that we should keep our browsers up to date on a regular basis. Basically, if, if you're quitting your browser and relaunching it each day, that should force it to check for updates every day, which can help ensure that you're always on the latest version. The other thing that you can do is you can go to either, you know, it could be Google Chrome or Microsoft Edge or Brave or whatever browser you're using. Almost all of the Chromium-based browsers, you can check for updates by going to the name of the browser in the top left corner, right next to the Apple menu, and then you pick About and then the name of that browser. And that will check for updates. And if there are updates available, it will give you a button to restart the browser to finish installing those updates. And that's different
1: from most apps that update internally. In other words, not through the Mac App Store, where if you go to the name menu, you'll have a check for updates menu entry, which is... If people look, they would think, well, this says check for updates. That's how I get updates. Most
2: people wouldn't think that it's in the about page that you're going to be checking for updates. Right. And it's kind of funny that you mentioned that because Vivaldi actually has a slightly different update mechanism. Most people probably are not using Vivaldi browser on macOS, but to check for updates there, you actually have to go through a slightly different process. You have to go to the Vivaldi menu and choose check for updates, like a more normal app but kind of different from all the rest of the browsers for some reason. Okay, so tell me about this
1: Bluetooth problem that's going to affect my AirPods Pro. Does this mean that my cats can
2: figure out some way to hear what I'm listening? Well, it just might, if your cats are Bluetooth hackers. (laughs) So (laughs) this latest attack lets attackers hijack Bluetooth connections, and this vulnerability, or it's actually two vulnerabilities that are being used together but they have one CVE number, so one common vulnerabilities and exposure identifier. But this impacts Bluetooth core specification 4.2 through 5.4, and it's interesting in their list they actually show a Bluetooth 4.1 device, so. And some of the devices that they've tested this with include AirPods Pro, uh uh-oh, as well as a few iPhone models. They tested this with iPhone 12 and 13 and all the way back to iPhone 7, probably because that particular model has Bluetooth 4.2, which is on the earlier side. So they were probably just testing a range of devices.
1: Okay, worth pointing out that this is the AirPods Pro first generation that's tested here, and I have the new ones, the second generation, which are not on the list.
2: They're not on the list of devices that they tested. However, they say that this basically impacts all Bluetooth devices, so there's actually a series of attacks and th- that are collectively named bluffs and these attacks can break the secrecy of Bluetooth connections allowing for device impersonation and man in the middle attacks so basically yeah somebody could intercept Bluetooth communications that are supposed to be for you and listen in for example if if you're using Bluetooth for audio they could listen in and and hear the things that you're supposed to be hearing on your bluetooth headset. So, Tom Cruise scenario, they could listen to phone calls that you're making. Sure. Yeah, exactly. There's there's lots of different like potential use cases for this, but you know, is this something that people need to worry about? I would say probably not. I mean, the likelihood that somebody's actually going to be near you and trying to exploit these vulnerabilities is pretty low. But at the same time, I would say that if you have highly secure communications, probably don't use Bluetooth or anything wireless, really, for that matter, right? Like, the more security that you need, the less you should be relying on wireless technologies that are floating through the air that could potentially be intercepted by somebody down the street from you.
1: Especially because recent Bluetooth has a much longer range than in the past. If you go back a few years, the range of Bluetooth was generally considered to be 10 meters, 30 feet. I got these new AirPods Pro this morning. I left my phone in my office. I walked
2: all the way around my house and had no problem listening to anything. Yes, I've been very surprised by that, too. I've done similar experiments with Bluetooth around my house and have been very surprised that the Bluetooth range seems to be a lot farther than, certainly than it used to be, and farther than the specification specifically allows for. But the other thing is, and most people don't know this, you can often extend the range of wireless Technologies, whether it's Wi Fi or Bluetooth, by using boosters. And so, if an attacker is like, you know, across the street from you, they could be in another building or, you know, completely, you know, a block away and still be able to potentially intercept some of those communications. So, even if your devices are all perfectly functioning as normal, somebody from much farther away could potentially intercept transmissions on your devices. Okay, I'll keep my eyes on my cats if they have any little electronic devices
1: trying to figure out how to get treats. All right, we have Candy Corn. North Korean hackers have new malware attacking macOS. They're really focusing on cryptocurrency people, and I hate to say it, the usual targets is it, it's where the money
2: is. So if you're doing anything with cryptocurrency, you've got to be really careful what you download. Candy Corn was actually discovered in October, but this happened to resurface in the news. And so we thought it was worth mentioning here. If you are using Intego Virus Barrier, you are fully protected from Candy Corn and related malware, which has some fun names like Sugar Loader, for example. So if you are using Virus Barrier, you're already protected from this malware. Okay, what about the Connie group using Russian language
1: malicious Word documents in their latest attacks?
2: Yeah, now this was an interesting story because we don't often hear about you know Microsoft Word files that are being used in, in attack scenarios, but it's still a thing that can happen. Microsoft Word and other Microsoft Office documents can still use VB scripts, v- Visual Basic scripts. And these macros can do other things like they can download a malicious payload or other things like that. And in this particular case, if you open this Word doc on a Windows system, it will run a batch file. So it'll run a script that does... Some more malicious things to you, to your machine. So in this particular case, this is not something that affects the Mac, but I thought this was worth bringing up because people often don't really think about Word documents as being something dangerous that you need to worry about. So just a reminder, you know, this type of thing can also affect the Mac as well. Uh, you know, they can certainly create a Word document that is capable of infecting Macs. So be very careful about downloading any kind of attachments, regardless of whether it seems so, like something benign, like a Word document. Back in the
1: day, and this goes back a while, in the late 90s and the early 2000s, when I was working as a translator, Word macroviruses were relatively common. And when you're working in a, a job like that, where you're exchanging documents from a business to a translation agency to a translator and back and forth, it was extremely common. And I don't remember how long it was ago, but it took Microsoft many years to change their apps so they didn't run macros when documents were open. Originally, they would run automatically, but then they had a setting to prevent that. But that was probably the most... Pernicious malware on Macs for a very
2: long time. Yeah, and and it is still a problem. I, I would say it's definitely not the number one problem in terms of malware on the Mac, but it's still something that people should be aware of. And by the way, the built-in protections in macOS there, there's nothing to protect you from macro viruses in Microsoft Office documents. So that is something to be aware of too, and and a good reason why you should have. Antivirus software that is the full package that detects all of this kind of malware and not just this few specific things that Apple knows how to detect.
1: Right. Apple can detect certain apps that are code signed or that don't have a certain flag when you've downloaded them and they can check for certain things, but they can't check files. They can only check apps. Is that correct?
2: Apple can basically do whatever they want, but it's just that they're not doing it. They're 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 not being comprehensive in right. what exactly they're checking right. when things are downloaded. Yeah. So it basically, like you could kind of look at it as this. So people we've talked about X-Protect before. This is this technology that's been built into macOS since all the way back in Snow Leopard is when it was first introduced, Mac OS 10.6. And Apple has gradually iterated on that and made it a, a little bit more advanced over time. But to this day, they still are not detecting. So, for example, they don't detect any Windows malware. They only detect a handful of specific Mac malware samples. And... It's just not, it's not comprehensive protection. And so if people are assuming that XProtect is going to protect them, we've also talked in the past before about how sometimes Apple takes a while before adding signatures for some malware that we've been detecting for some period of time already. So it kind of like, basically, if it gets big enough that it's on Apple's radar, then they'll add a signature for it. But if it's not yet on Apple's radar, then, you know, in the meantime, you're vulnerable If you're just relying on Apple's protection. Okay, we're going to take a break. And in the ad read that follows, you can find out how you can save
1: up to 65% on Intego software. So you are protected from all this malware. We'll be back in a minute.
0: Protecting your online security and privacy has never been more important than it is today. Intego has been proudly protecting Mac users for over 25 years. And our latest Mac protection suite includes the tools you need to stay protected. Indigo's Mac Premium Bundle X9 includes Virus Barrier, the world's best Mac anti-malware protection, Net Barrier, powerful inbound and outbound firewall security, personal backup to keep your important files safe from ransomware, and much more to help protect, secure, and organize your Mac. Best of all, it's compatible with macOS Sonoma and the latest Apple Silicon Macs. And don't miss Indigo's Black Friday and Cyber Monday sale going on now. The best deal of the year on Intego software, up to 65%, has now been extended through Sunday, December 3rd. Check out the exclusive link for Intego Mac Podcast listeners at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com for our exclusive Black Friday and Cyber Monday deals, but only through Sunday, December 3rd. Intego, world-class protection and utility software for Mac users made by the Mac security experts.
1: We want to briefly talk about running beta software on Mac, iPhone, iPad, etc. And what prompted this was an article that was published today by the developer Rogue Amoeba. We use Rogue Amoeba's Audio Hijack to record this podcast. In fact, most podcasters on the Mac use Audio Hijack. They reminded users that beta software is... Dangerous and beta means bugs. And they talk specifically about the most recent macOS 14.1 beta update, which, as they say, interrupted significant functionality in the then current versions of our apps. Two years ago, three years ago, five years ago, we wouldn't have had to talk about this. But since Apple made it possible for anyone to go into the software update settings of their Mac, their iPad, their iPhone, and choose to download beta software, it means a lot of people are taking risks just because they want to be on the cutting edge, but they don't realize that these risks could be serious, and that this could prevent them from using their devices. So we're going to link to an article on the Intego Max Security blog about how to use beta software, but be
2: careful, this isn't for everyone. Right, think of beta software, instead of the cutting edge, like think of it as the bleeding edge, right? <laughs> like this is the, the problematic zone, so be beware that yes, you might get to try out some features and functionality before they're generally available to the public, but that also necessarily means that there's gonna be a bunch of bugs. That's the whole reason why beta software exists, is to get a small group of people to start testing that software to make sure that there are no major issues before they release it to the general public. So that is something to to be aware of. I I definitely don't recommend installing beta operating systems on your main device. In fact, that's why I never install iOS betas. Whenever there's a a new version of iOS coming out soon, I always use a backup phone, a a device that is specifically not my main phone that I can test the new operating system on. Okay, we found a story on The
1: Register, which is a very interesting British website that we cite occasionally, and it's entitled, Brit Borough Council apologizes for telling website users to disable HTTPS. If you're a regular listener of this podcast, you know that the S in HTTPS means secure. Apparently, Reading Borough Council tweeted to people who were having problems with their online planning application and said, well, if you're using Chrome, uncheck the always use HTTPS setting and try accessing the portal again. This is dangerous because they say when you finished accessing the portal, revert the setting, many thanks. Most people would forget to do this Don't ever let anyone tell you to turn that off. And even, let's say you can't access a website and you call the company and they say, turn off HTTPS, don't do it because it means that they're poorly coded and that you're at risk because you'll never remember to turn it back on again.
2: Yeah, this is kind of concerning that (laughs) this would be a a public recommendation, by the way. So this was in in reply to someone. But nevertheless, it shows that their IT department presumably was like telling the social media manager to tell people this as a solution to the problem. And it's like, oh, yeah, that's not such a good idea. So what should have happened, of course, is that they should have improved the security of their website. So they wouldn't, it wouldn't be necessary to tweak any settings in order to access the site. So I use Plex. Plex is a media management tool that
1: you can use to play music and videos. And I use it to hold all of my Blu-rays and DVDs that I've ripped on a Mac Mini that I stream to my Apple TV. I'll link in the show notes to some articles about ripping Blu-rays and DVDs on the Integomax security blog. Plex is really useful because it kind of, it's the wrapper for watching videos. It organizes them with metadata, with actor info, and sometimes even shows trailers. So Plex came up with this wonderful idea to tell your friends what you've been watching. So you can add friends on Plex and you can actually share your library with friends, which doesn't sound totally legal. And Plex has always been piggybacking on the not totally legal. But imagine you've got a network of friends and you're all sharing your libraries. And that every week, all your friends get an email showing what you've been watching. Now, maybe you're just watching the latest, you know, Tom Cruise movie, or maybe you're watching things you don't want your friends to know about. One of the problems is they introduced this new feature, Plex is saying it's an opt-in, but it's not. We're going to link to an article on TechHive where you see a screenshot about this. After the update, your settings are changed and you click the finish button to accept it. And if you're not paying attention, you don't realize that they've changed the setting. So it's really opt out because you have to click to choose private instead
2: of friends only. Right, this particular dialogue box says, you're in control at the top. And it says control which of your activities your friends can see on Plex. Your profile privacy settings are currently set to private. And this is in super fine print right and then it's got the four different options my watch history by default is set to friends only my watch list my ratings those are both set to friends only and then my friends of friends can see that you're friends with your friend i guess is the idea behind that setting so they're changing all of these settings if you just hit finish so it says you're in control, that's the, th- that the thing you see and then you see a finish button and you go, yeah, I'm done. I'm done installing this, so I'm going to hit finish. So if you're not paying real close attention, you don't realize that they're actually changing all of your settings for you to opt you into this not-so-private functionality. Okay. We have an A side and a B side this week
1: in police departments sharing information about technology with people. The first one is a number of police departments. And I don't know where, why they all came up with this started recommending that people turn off name drop, which is a new feature in iOS 17 and watch OS. If you bring two phones close together, you can send contact information. You can do the same with a watch and All of a sudden, police departments have been warning that this information could be shared just by bringing your phones close together. Not at all. This is just totally wrong, because you have to actually tap a button to share it. It's not like an automatic thing. So imagine if it was automatic, and you're on a crowded subway, and you've got a phone in your pocket, and the person next to you has got a phone in their
2: pocket, and you bump into each other. It's not how it works. Right. And in fact, when when this feature was announced, I I saw people on social media like imagining scenarios where they happen to run into Tim Cook and, you know, in in the public somewhere in an elevator. And oops, I accidentally brushed my phone against his and now I've got his phone number. No, it doesn't work like that. It does not work like that at all. And and quite intentionally, because you don't want people to bump into you on the subway and now they have your phone number, right? That doesn't make any sense. So if somebody comes in proximity to you, then you have the option, and Apple actually shows this in their marketing material, you get two buttons. You get one that says receive only, meaning, okay, I want to get your contact information, or share, meaning you actually exchange contact information with the other person. This is actually a useful feature. It's like a digital business card. But what
1: I would suggest is to be very careful what you put in your contact card, because I'm assuming it shares everything in your contact card. You may want to give someone your phone number and email address, but not your address and not your secondary email address or your Skype account or your Twitter account and all that, because your contact card can contain an
2: awful lot of information. So the takeaways here are that, first of all, it doesn't work as a lot of these police departments and others are describing it where you just bump into somebody and now you have their contact information. It doesn't actually work like that. So you don't need to be too concerned about that. Name drop is not very well documented from what I can tell. Apple doesn't really clearly state anywhere how to select what is shared. It seems like it shares almost everything in your contact card with somebody when you go to share with NameDrop. Now, unfortunately, this is not something that's very easy to test either unless you have somebody that you don't know that you're trying to share your contact card with because it will not update an existing contact card when you try to name drop either.
1: You want to try it, Josh? Hold up your phone. Let's see if we can do it over Zoom. (laughs) Yeah, I don't don't think think it's it's going to work work over Zoom. No,
2: I don't think so. I don't
1: think so. Okay. All right. So that was the A side of police misinformation. And the B side is actually some good advice from police. We talked a while ago about a couple of brands of cars that are apparently very easy to hack in the US. I don't know if it's just the US But around the world, I think Kia, Hyundai cars. Police in Washington, D.C. started realizing, according to Ars Technica, that it was much easier to recover stolen vehicles that could be tracked with Apple AirTags. A lot of cars have built in trackers, but you don't have access to it, right? The car company that's receiving data and sending data to your car, or that may use your car's location, my car has a button that I push to get assistance, right, from the car manufacturer. So they'll use the location there. But it's not a bad idea to stick an air tag someplace in the trunk of the car or under a seat or, you know, any place like that that no one would think to look if they steal it because the amount of time it would take to get the information from the car manufacturer probably needs like a police warrant and all that, whereas your air tag can be
2: used in real time. Right, this Ars Technica article says that over the summer, there were tens of thousands of car thefts that were supposedly inspired by some TikTok videos that encouraged people to to go out and try these things. And so regardless of whether it was TikTok that inspired it or not, uh, there have been a lot of car thefts. And, and of course, in certain regions of the world, this is a lot more common than others. In San Francisco, for example, car thefts, are, you have to expect that your car is going to get broken into, especially if you leave anything in plain sight in your car. It's pretty much a guarantee that your car is going to get broken into. And so in Washington, D.C., this is one of the jurisdictions where police officers actually have realized it's cheaper for them to just get give out air tags, to buy air tags and give them out to people than it is to to deal with the massive volume of car theft reports that they're getting. So now they're actually giving out air tags to people so that they can track where their own car is in case it gets stolen. So here's a tip. If you share
1: a car with someone or often ride with someone, you can go into the Find My app on any of your devices and you can share the AirTag that's in the car so the person that you're
2: with in the car doesn't get all these alerts that there's an AirTag following them. Right. That's a good point. So if you have not already purchased an AirTag, I don't know, I've seen some pretty good sales over the past week. So maybe there's still some cyber week details on AirTags. It's probably a good idea to stick one in each of your cars, you know, put it in some inconspicuous place so that you can find it easily enough. But if a car thief goes through your car, they won't be able to find it very quickly. Okay. Speaking of buying tech products,
1: you recently wrote an article about not buying certain tech products on Black Friday or Cyber Monday. Now, our strategy here is to change the headline for every buying season. It will soon change it to don't buy these tech products uh, for Christmas. And it'll be Amazon Prime Day next year, because this is something we talked about in last week's episode. And we talk about regularly about tech products that are out of date and that can't be updated.
2: Well, it is still Cyber Week. And by the way, if you happen to miss the mid-roll ad Our Black Friday and Cyber Monday deal has been extended through the rest of this week all the way through Sunday. So if you missed our Black Friday deal, you can still get that deal with the link in our show notes. But okay, so if you're still buying tech products, you know, most people... Although you may buy some things on Black Friday and Cyber Monday, most people are still doing their holiday shopping like pretty much right up until Christmas. In this article, I cover everything from all Apple devices that have an operating system that needs to be on the current version in order to make sure you're getting all the security updates you need. That includes Macs, iPhones, iPads, Apple Watches. I also talk about Android and Chrome OS devices, Wi-Fi routers. As you said, this is something people should think of all year
1: round. If they're looking to buy things, if they're going on eBay, if they're buying refurbished devices, there's no point buying something that's going to be, that's going to put you at risk in a year or two. If it's a device that's meant to last like a a Mac more than a phone or a tablet, um, you want to make sure that you're going to be able to use it for long enough and
2: not have to worry about security updates. Right. To break this down a little bit further, let's talk about the Apple devices. And we don't need to go into too great detail here because it's pretty simple advice, Overall, for Apple devices, my recommendation is that you try to buy an Apple device relatively soon after it's released. If you want to buy an older generation Apple device, then keep in mind kind of approximately how long you're likely to get security updates for that device. And, you know, so for example, if you're buying a year old device, then, you know, on something like a Mac, where Apple usually releases OS updates for particular Mac models for about roughly five, six years or so after that Mac model is released. And so if you're buying a year old Mac, take off like 20% or so of the price. If if you can get it around that price point, I feel like then it's pretty reasonable to, to buy it at that point. Also, it doesn't really matter so much if you're going to be buying a new, for example, an iPhone every two years anyway, then it's perfectly fine, I would say, to get a two-year-old iPhone if you can get a really good deal on it, because you know that Apple's going to be releasing security updates and the latest iOS versions for it for at least another couple of years until you're likely to buy a new phone.
1: So this makes me think of something. When I bought my M1 iMac, I swore to you that I would keep it for five years. But what's going to happen when I get to that five-year point? Is it going to be close to its end of life for OS updates, which means that If I try to sell it used, actually, it wouldn't be fair to sell it to someone thinking
2: that they may not be able to update it in the next couple of years and get security updates. A lot of people do tend to sell their devices, even past the point where Apple's still releasing the latest operating system updates for it. I mean, if you look on something like eBay, you'll find all kinds of Macs that are much, much older than Apple is currently supporting. You know, right now the earliest Mac that Apple supports for Mac OS Sonoma is the iMac Pro, which came out in 2017. Everything else is 2018 or later. Some are 2019 models even. So if you're buying a a 2017 Mac, for instance, other than that iMac Pro, you're not going to be able to run Mac OS Sonoma on it. Well, at least not without third-party hacks. We do have an article on the Mac security blog where we explain how you can do that. But, you know, with M1, this is actually pretty interesting to talk about because we don't know yet what's going to happen. My assumption is that sometime within the next couple of years, Apple is going to start only supporting M1 or later Macs with the next version of macOS. At that point, I presume that that means that all these Intel Macs are going to get cut off. So you're going to be stuck forever with macOS Sonoma or whatever one came after that that still supports some of these Intel Macs. And at that point, you know, I don't know if we're still going to get these patchers that allow you to use the latest operating system on older Macs. Very likely you're not going to get it that particular year because Apple's going to make a bunch of changes to the operating system to prevent it from being backwards compatible with Intel Macs. And it would just be far too much effort for some third party developer to backport that operating system to Intel Macs. It just is not going to work.
1: Okay, so bookmark this article because Josh is going to keep it up to date every year when there's a new operating system and older Macs are no longer able to run the newest operating system. Maybe if you have some last-minute purchases you were planning to make in Black Friday Cyber Week, whenever that ends, I guess it ends just when the Christmas sales start, right? So this is like an ongoing permanent cycle. Just keep this in mind. Don't buy old tech. Until next week, Josh, stay secure. All right, stay secure.
0: Thanks for listening to the Intego Mac Podcast, the voice of Mac security, with your hosts, Kirk McElhern and Josh Long. To get every episode, be sure to follow us in Apple Podcasts or subscribe in your favorite podcast app. And if you can, leave a rating, a like, or a review. Links to topics and information mentioned in the podcast can be found in the show notes for the episode at podcast.intego.com. The Intego website is also where to find details on the full line of Intego security and utility software, Intego.com. And don't forget, take advantage of our Black Friday and Cyber Monday deal through Sunday, December 3rd only. Our exclusive link for Intego Mac podcast listeners is available only in our show notes at podcast.intego.com. That's podcast.intego.com. And look for our exclusive link to save up to 65%. This is the best deal of the year on Intego's powerful protection and utility software. But hurry, the savings only last through Sunday, December 3rd.